0: Sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast.
1: Welcome to a brand spanking new episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, uh, I'm the old guy, Nate Larkin, here with the, the whippersnapper, Aaron Porter. Can you hear me? You got to get a look on your face. You're going. What? That's a weird intro. Is that is that what that is that what that expression says?
2: No, you, you froze for a second. But I also haven't been called a whippersnapper for for <laughs> at, at least two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I, and and honestly, this is this is one of my my brain dysfunctions. I have always been fascinated by phraseology and etymology like where did words come from where did phrases come from so the second you said that i was like okay once we finish this i'm gonna have to google this but i appreciate google because i used to have to go to the library (laughs) when somebody would say something like that and i could not get it out of my head what's a whippersnapper (laughs) i'm gonna find out
1: all right the listeners Uh, you're going to want to tune into the next episode of the pirate monk podcast when Aaron will tell us what a whippersnapper is and and how the word came to be.
2: Oh my gosh. I, I, I feel ashamed of that actually. (laughs) Like why, why Why does my brain stop on that? And
1: it's like, I don't care about the rest of what you're saying. That's fascinating. I, I love, I love that you have that fascination with words and you pay attention to meaning and you like to dig back into the past to find out how we got here and where we might have gotten off track. I think it's a wonderful gift. I'd well, gra- that, that a,
2: that's yeah. a very gracious way to look at it. So wow. uh, I don't, I, I you know what, it is, it is frustrating at this point. I don't know how many weeks or episodes will have occurred since you have yeah. come back from. Uh, Italy, but we yeah. have not talked about it. No, And no. I also know that our interview went long. My fault. I was okay. fascinated. But give us a little bit. You are back from Italy. Yeah. You experienced some stuff. You had some great times with KK. It, Tom Moko oh, was there.
1: Yeah. It, it was amazing. It was almost didn't make it because I contracted COVID the week before. Uh And so, you know, I was my I was my wagon was dragging for the first week I was there. Can I can I I just say
2: once once again, my brain did that when you said contracted COVID. I said, oh, there's an apostrophe between the CEO and the VD. Uh, Anyways, (laughs) keep going. But oh, my gosh, my brain is really messing with me tonight. Okay, yes, you contracted COVID.
1: And but yeah, so I I didn't have the juice to do a lot of tourism when I was there. Oh, so it did Uh-oh. affect you. Oh, like yeah. yeah. You I was still... exhausted when I got there. However, um, we were there for 13 days. We did two full weekend retreats, and then I spoke in three churches in between the weekends. Now, uh, how,
2: how did that—was that planned? I mean, I didn't
1: hear yeah, about or, that
2: being a part of the plan.
1: Oh, it was fantastic. Daniel Weens, who's Point Man on Samson, Soci- Samson Society Italia, and who was our host and at times our translator— uh, he had arranged those speaking engagements. Uh, it, this was wonderful. It was we encountered the evangelical church in Italy, and it was kind of like going back in time, uh, because in a lot of ways, they, those wonderful folks, uh, theologically, philosophically, uh, are still in, in, in where we were in the seventies and eighties, especially around addiction. So kind of the prevailing idea, and I'm so familiar with this because it's what I grew up with, is addiction is uh, sin. Done. Finished. Simple as that. Uh, The cure for addiction is salvation. Repentance. That's about it. And the definition of repentance is change your behavior.
2: stop doing it. Yeah, yeah. Don't change your mind. Change your behavior. Not change
1: your mind. Right, right. Okay. Uh, uh, um, We came... And I am so glad, glad KK came. KK really tore it up. She was, and they loved her. Um, so I was able to kind of set things up, telling my own story, and then doing some biblical spade work in the front end to start to get them thinking differently. Of what if addiction isn't sin? What if addiction is sickness caused by sin? Uh, what if recovery isn't repentance in the way we've defined repentance? What if recovery is healing? And what if healing, although it can occur instantaneously and on rare occasions does equally is equally miraculous when it is progressive, which is what it normally is. And that and that that healing can only take place within the safety of a supportive, caring, you know, empathetic, compassionate, uh, respectful community, which is what the church is supposed to be. So I was able to set that up, and then KK comes in and just does KK.
2: Yeah, KK does KK. Well, let me pause real quick because you said something really profound. I, I grew up, as you did, in the era of testimonies. I love right, Nicky yeah. Cruz. I went and watched right. Nikki Cruz tell his story. I couldn't understand a damn word he said. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was yeah. still fascinated because I read Run, Baby, Run. I did not read The Cross and the Switchblade. I read his book, yeah, Run, right. Baby, yeah. Run, uh-huh. uh, in elementary school repeatedly. Fair and damn. they did some creative writing that they called in my parents because yeah. they were worried about me because there were switchblades involved with my fifth grade <laughs> creative writing. Uh, anyways. Uh, it's, it's the story of the miraculous transition. Yeah. Yeah. Why is it that we don't understand that what is more pedestrian, what happens to most people and what is infinitely harder because a miraculous one moment transition, that's actually not hard. Right. Yeah. But to live a life of transition and healing, to go on a journey that is real and hard and equally miraculous. Why does it not count as miraculous?
1: <laughs> well, good question. Good question. But uh, I, so I always have to make the case that uh, progressive healing is nonetheless miraculous. And, you know, you've heard me say this uh, countless times. It is miraculous the way a bone mends, right? A broken bone mends. Mm-hmm. But it takes time. And in the process, that bone needs support. It needs to have some of the pressure taken off. It needs a splint. It needs, okay, and then eventually it needs, so. Uh, and and, and, think, and after it heals, it needs physical therapy. Right.
2: To be strengthened. Right. That was just to get the bone healed. Yeah. yeah. Now there's a new process. So, uh, I mean, that's a lot about becoming sober. Yeah. But you're not necessarily experiencing the healing.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: yeah like those those are the things
1: and then just to have kk step in and first of all explain trauma and its effects from a medical scientific you know therapeutic neurological basis but then as only she can do engage uh you know the group in conversation she interacts so beautifully and I'll tell you what, in the second retreat, which was up in this amazing, picturesque little Italian village in the, in the Italian house.
2: Oh, stop. I'm getting jealous.
1: Oh, unbelievable, this place. Um, she actually brain-spotted three guys through a translator. That sounds
2: incredibly Star Trek, but I don't think she was holding a translator device and sucking yeah, yeah, yeah. out the brains of yeah, guys. Yeah, 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 she, yeah, yeah. she was asking questions right. that helped them connect to their story.
1: Right. right. Help them, help them reach on an, in a, in an emotional way, the trauma held in an unconscious part of the brain by a younger part. And then with such kindness and care and empathy, um, Tend to that wounded, broken part and bring them, help them process the trauma and bring them through it to help them move in her terms from first person present, because in that unconscious part of the brain, that old trauma is still present. And that part of the brain is still hypervigilant, always scanning, anticipating, waiting for the trauma to happen again and reading it into life every place they go and reacting to it. Uh, in the process of healing now, moving that memory from first person present to third person past. And yes, that did happen to a younger part of me. It's over now. And now to use, and she didn't use this language. She was sensitive to, uh, you know, the sensibilities of, you know, an evangelical audience. She didn't talk about being a grown ass man the way she does in the <laughs> uh, uh, Covers. She found nicer ways to say it. Uh,
2: yeah. Well, I, I will just say, uh, for those of you that just heard what Nate said and thought, I'm terrified that he's moved into some kind of new age psychological uh, cult. Yeah, our our guest today is actually going to help unpack this a little bit in a beautiful yes. way. And what I love about KK and and desire for myself is that woman walks with a feather duster in one hand and a bullwhip in the other. (laughs) And she knows exactly when to employ one or the other. Yeah. And, and I love the bullwhip. Yeah. Uh, But I love when, when, when a strong person like her that knows how to wield a bullwhip knows how to reach out with the other hand and offer comfort and a touch, a soothing, healing touch and and then can crack the whip, whip again in the next 30 seconds. It's brilliant. I I aspire to that kind of wisdom. And honestly, all of this goes into our conversation that we're about to have. It's about learning to have that wisdom. I don't want to give any more away, but let's let's move from this because our guest today is going to talk about this in a way that I hope is inspiring. So, we will be right back for that interesting conversation here on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Boy, have we got a guest this week. Uh, Joining us uh, here in our virtual studio from Northern California, not California, Northern Colorado is uh, Chris Bruno. He is the founder and CEO of uh, Restory uh, Counseling. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Where he oversees a staff of uh, 20 counselors working in all kinds of fields, including the ones most close to the heart of most of our listeners. He's also the author of a book, a brand new book, "Sage: A Man's Guide into His Second Passage." Welcome, Chris.
0: You guys, so great to be with you. Thanks for inviting me on the podcast. Uh, so, uh, so excited about whatever conversation we are about to have. <laughs> <laughs> and, and
2: listeners, and listeners, Chris is a lover of flat caps. And I am a flat cap, lo- flat flat cap. Just I can't say it. Flat Thank cap. You. Yeah. I, well, I I can do a flat jack as well. A flat cap lover. I love your hat. I would wear Thank your you. hat. I would steal uh, your hat.
0: Don't worry. Well, and then, run then away. why we're virtual, so you can't take it from me. So oh,
2: <laughs> oh, the downside of technology. Porn <laughs> and non-stealing of flat caps.
1: It's the worst. <laughs> All right, Aaron's suffering a severe case of cap envy. Um, do you have an opening question, uh Aaron for our guest?
2: No, I'm I'm excited to see where this goes. I I have listened to Chris talk about a number of things and I love the story work. I love yeah. the father work. Yeah. I yeah. want to hear about this book. Uh, all of these things are interesting to me. I have personal feelings and thoughts that come from what I would say is a non-traumatized father side. And so I love somebody that has engaged that work because it just, it, it always leaves me with questions like I've, I, I and a handful of people that I have known well have felt left out of some of that. And people like you, Chris have shown amazing insight into mm-hmm. why I can still be as messed up as anybody else, even though I don't know how to blame my dad. Okay. <laughs> Happy to talk about
0: that for sure.
2: <laughs> so hey, so talk, let's talk about sage. Can we talk about sage first? Yeah. I, I want to hear okay. about sage.
0: Yeah. Well, so sage uh, un, uh, is maybe an unfamiliar word to people in the in the term way that I use it. A lot of people think about sage like the herb herb, or you know, incense or something like that. But the reality is uh, sage is actually an older word that doesn't just refer to an herb. It refers to a person. And it could be a man or it could be a woman, but it is that mm-hmm. older, uh, wiser, uh, stronger, kinder kind of person uh, who is, in, in Bible terms, is like the elder of society. And the way that I like to talk about it is they are the the pylons of society. They ground, Ooh, pylons, they ground us. They keep us connected. They are the guardrails. Uh, these are the people that ultimately, really is uh, is the pinnacle. I believe of what does it mean to become fully, uh, fully human in the destination of where God's designed us to go. So,
2: so, so this uh, is this is a book about the sagacity of character. Yes, not the herb. Not the herb, well, okay. way to use that word. so uh, is this like i I love this. I'm um, I don't know how you're writing this now because I don't know of a time when older people have been relegated to irrelevance more than now, where all advertisements to old people are here's what the young people think are cool. You should get on board with that, which blows my mind. so how how are you speaking to? Oh, well, who are you speaking to? First of all, those who want to become sages in their culture or to younger people who need to shut up and listen to older people every once in a while?
0: Great question. I, I would say I'm writing to both because here's here's what I know, you guys, and that is that we don't have those pylons in our society. And because of that, we are going off course. We're losing our way in so many, uh, so many ways that we actually need more sages in our world in order for us to really find ourselves again. And so uh, you're right, Aaron. That it's like the older generation is relegated to uh, AARP yeah. and yeah. the golf course. And that's about as much value as you add to the world anymore. And I think that is completely the opposite of what the design of who we are to be actually is. Uh, we're supposed to be moving towards the sage uh, really from the beginning of our lives. And we've lost a vision for that. And I think we're, we're paying for it.
1: I'm wondering, I'm wondering, uh, just a, a sociological question. I'm wondering how much retirement culture has played into this. It's kind of this cultural assumption, really uh, just kind of laid out there uh, that uh, at age 65 or some arbitrary number, you are just going to exit stage left and then, I don't know, amuse yourself in what time you have left. And let me
2: add to that question for your answer. Has there ever been another culture in history that has done this to old people? Or
0: uh, uh, older people. Older people. You know, I, I'm going to say no. Not from right. what my research has shown, not from what, you know, the reading that I've done. You know, the, the idea of retirement actually started in the late 1800s in Germany, mm-hmm. where uh, they were trying – they recognized that there was a large, younger population of workers – that as that population was growing into the workforce, there wasn't enough work for those workers to have, and so there were incentives put in place for the older generation to step out of the workforce. Mm-hmm. That was the beginning of retirement at the late in, late 1800s, and then slowly over the early 1900s, it became part of. This understanding, it came to the United States, it kind of spread around the world as this is what we need to do in order to create workforce space for the younger uh, workers.
2: So, what I'm hearing you say is retirement ultimately leads to Nazis.
0: <laughs> is that, am I understanding yeah. you right? Because yeah. this is scary. Uh, I- I, I don't know that I would go that far, maybe, but, uh, you know, there, we could play that logic out in some ways uh, and see where we go with that conversation. Uh, okay, so so you're saying this has only
2: been 150 years or so yeah. of of this idea. So what existed before then in your research? Because I love that you have these answers for these questions.
0: Yeah, what existed before that was the, the elder generation was not elderly.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Ah, there you go. Once retirement came around and it became part of the fabric of our society, old people became elderly and they forgot, we forgot what it means to be an elder. Mm-hmm. And that there's a big difference. You know, in in Japan, there is uh there's not even a word for retirement.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because wow. there's such a veneration of the uh, older generation that, hey, this is actually from the time I was a boy, I have been looking forward to becoming an elder in my society. That is, that is why the honor and the, the privilege and the respect is given to older people in some of these more ancient cultures is because they knew the value of the, the elder. Yeah, yeah. We've lost that. And now we just, like I said, we become elderly.
2: Let me throw this this out to you. Years ago, before there were a lot of documentaries about stuff going on in Amish communities, which is uh, untoward, I remember seeing an interview with an elder who was willing to talk about technology in the Amish community. And the interviewer was very mm, arrogant in his questioning and, and was basically like, you guys are silly, why don't you do technology? And the elder said, oh, we have nothing against technology, but we will never introduce technology that keeps a boy from being able to work alongside his father and a grandfather from contributing to the future generations. And and the, the interviewer
0: just shut up after that. So you just answered your own question. Yeah. Thank you. Uh-huh. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, I wonder if you can help me with a conundrum, then, Chris. Okay. I lost a couple decades of my life to uh, addiction, where I more or less was living uh, in a dissociated state uh, a large percentage of the time. Mm-hmm. I also was doing lots of stupid things, making lots of bad decisions, and of course, we know that you know wisdom comes from you know making bad decisions and learning from. It. So, uh, I do have a, f- a fund of. Uh, experience upon which I can draw. The one thing that was really not happening for me during those years was emotional maturity. So in recovery, I'm having to reconnect with my emotional self with the whole limbic system. (laughs) Yeah. But I have this emotional part of me. I mean, when I entered recovery at 42, I was 42 in, in, you know, in human years. I don't know how many years in dog years, but uh, emotionally, God, I was an early adolescent and still in. So I'm in this spot now. Uh, I'm 66 years old on the calendar. I've got white hair. Um, I have lots of folks who look to me as an elder and as a sage. And there are times when I can feel myself stepping into that role and contributing. But it's a struggle for me because emotionally, I'm still, I don't know where I am. I feel like emotionally I'm in my mid thirties at best. Mm -hmm. Uh, How does one cultivate a sage mindset? How do we prepare ourselves to step into this stage and bring the full weight of who we are?
0: I, first of all, just want to acknowledge and say, thank you to you that you have an awareness of your own maturity and immaturity
1: Mm -hmm. because
0: I think we have to start with a sense of awareness of where do we find ourselves where are we because if we don't know where we are we can't know where we're going yeah okay so thank you for that and I think that already in and of itself is a is a significant movement into what I would define or call a sage so the way that you know kind of the tagline of the book Uh, is, and and my first book was called Manmaker Project, and it is all about the intentional rites of passage that a father can lead his son through in order to usher him into manhood. Mm -hmm. So that's why this one is called the second passage. So the way I talk about it is the the task of the first passage is for the father to find the man within the boy and call him forth. Mm Mm-hmm. But the task of the second passage, the sage passage, is to find the boy within the man and bring him home. Oh, That's good. So there is something as you talk about this emotional immaturity for you, it is actually tending to and caring for rather than holding in contempt or passing judgment on that Uh, places in you. It is tending to. Oh, wow. Those places. Yeah. It's tending to those young and immature and stuck places that that you may have, you know, gotten stuck in in your life. Sure. And rather so, than— so,
2: so, give, so give me a little more specific on tending to, because I'm i resonating. I'm like, yes, but what the hell are you talking about, Chris? <laughs> what is tending to—because that's so beautiful. Yeah. Now Nate's, Nate's super old now. <laughs> and so— Now he's tending to the boy. Mm -hmm. What does that mean?
0: So, uh, in in the audience that we're talking to right now, and Nate, you just kind of bring up, you know, you were caught in this dissociative state and some addictions and and all of that stuff, right? So, I want to speak to, in the book, I talk about six main stages or phases of a man's life. One of them is what I call the phallic man. Okay. This is when we kind of discover who we are in our sexuality and we kind of come awake to the to the idea of, ah, oh, there's beauty and desire and delight and, and arousal and all those things. A lot of men find themselves hijacked or stuck in one of these stages, and we'll just kind of, for the sake of this conversation, talk about being stuck in the phallic man stage, Okay, where we yes. get the, the the obelisk remains. I know the, obelisk, yes. the yes. tower. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Okay. Yeah.
0: Gotcha. Um, so we get stuck there because we get hijacked into pornography or into unwanted sexual behavior or whatever it might be. So tending to the boy is not to, as I said, not to judge him or, or pass, you know, have contempt yeah. for him or whatever, but to recognize what was it about his life that was hijacked Mm-hmm. What was it about his heart that needed some kind of attention or affection, or uh, someone's face, or some level of escape? What were those parts of his life that he needed at what, that what point? Do you, what do you
2: mean by someone's face? What does that mean?
0: Oh, so many things, Aaron. Um, I just think about the Aaronic uh, the blessing in Numbers chapter 6, where actually, you know, the blessing is, you know, the Lord bless you and keep you, the Lord turn his face towards you. We were neurobiologically designed by God to develop relationships through the interaction in relationships. We we right. form who we are by the relationships that we have. And when we have someone's attunement, when we yes. have someone's turning towards their face to us and tuning in. To what is going on for us, whether it's circumstantially, emotionally, spiritually, physically, someone tuning into us, that actually forms within us a sense of identity and purpose and connection and, and, and all the things that we, the food that we need in, in the emotional sense to live our lives well. So when we are hijacked in this phallic state, much of the time we are actually, we're not looking for sex, Mm-hmm. We're looking for connection. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Because because, the, because
2: that last statement is, may the Lord lift up his countenance to you and bring you
0: peace. Peace, yes. And even before that is, may he turn his face of delight towards you. Mm. Oh, and wow. so we are constantly looking for a face of delight. And one of my favorite authors, you guys probably know him, Kurt Thompson. Yeah. Um, he says, we are all born into the world looking for someone looking for us.
1: Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. And as yeah. boys and as girls, we often find a pornographic face who's very happy to look for us. Yeah. But what was it going on in our lives as a boy or as a girl that that we needed to find the face on the screen rather than the face of our father or rather than the face of our mother or rather than the face of a good friend? What was it that we needed to escape from our lives and pornography or whatever? Yeah, uh, kind of hijacked our hearts. So this is where I want to bring the idea of kindness to that boy, tending to that boy who first discovered pornography, not for the pornography he discovered, but for the heart he had lost. Yeah, yeah. And bring that boy home in the sense of, I want you, I, I see you, and I see the brokenness that you're experiencing. I see the, the lostness that you had in your life, And I now, as an adult man, as an older man, can tend to you, can say, I see you, I see where your brokenness is, I see where your woundings are, and I want to welcome you back into, reintegrate into me.
1: Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, man. This is, you know, this is matching up so neatly, With so much what I've been hearing, what we've been hearing lately about story work, about parts work, you know, this fairly, you know, recent realization that there are within us these uh, these younger parts. Um, I was just spent two great weekends in Italy at a retreat with uh, KK Ray, a trauma specialist, Mm. talking a lot during those sessions about younger parts and um, and I come home <laughs> a few days after I got home, my daughter, who lives just a few doors away, had a flood in her house. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's got three teenagers at home, thirteen year old twins and a sixteen year old. There's a thirteen year old boy uh, and a couple of dogs. So now they're living with us. Now, my memory of my grandfather is one uh, as somebody who was uh, remote, uh, curt, uh, he wasn't, I didn't feel attunement from my grandfather or from my dad for that matter. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've struggled, frankly, as a grandfather, you know, following that template. But I've noticed after coming home from this experience where, um, KK was urging us over and over again to be empathetic and compassionate and kind toward the younger part. Mm-hmm. That it seems as though my approach to my thirteen-year-old grandson has changed, yeah, and uh, so, and it has to do, and I think it's because my approach to my own thirteen-year-old part has started to shift. So I'm picking so up what you're putting I can, down. I think,
2: yeah. But I, okay, so you said uh, what was the heart statement you said? The the. Oh my gosh! Now I lost it because I was listening to you, Nate. And I like that story, but it was about like, okay, we're being compassionate towards your heart. That was how'd you phrase it? Do you remember?
0: I don't remember either. I can never repeat okay. myself.
2: Darn it! Okay, so so it's it was basically like the 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 yeah kind of way it twisted the heart. But mm-hmm. is there also that part that says, "Oh, kid, me." My boy, mm-hmm. you were looking for the face that was right. And and you, sure, you looked at this. I mean, I have always said, I'm a face man. Some people like butt men, yeah, yeah, boob yeah. men, yeah. or whatever. I'm a face man. I have always looked for faces mm-hmm. in pornography. Mm-hmm. That's it yeah. for me. Can I believe that you want me, that you desire me, and that this could be real and connected? Mm-hmm. And so, is there a part of this and that compassion that says, hey, kid, I know, this was totally screwed up, buddy. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't go where you wanted it to go, but it was so right. Yes. You just didn't get how it was right and that that wasn't the right way. Yes.
0: Absolutely. I think that's so well said that you didn't get what was needed and you found a satisfactory substitute. hmm Right. And that substitute has been harmful to you. That substitute has taken you down other dark roads. That substitute was designed actually to hijack, to steal, kill, and destroy your good heart. Mm-hmm. And now, you know. You and the, now you said. Oh, uh, and now yeah, yes. yes, you said the word compassion, and I love I love that word because. You know, the idea of self-compassion and all that is kind of a buzzword. And maybe in the council it sounds a little, you know, psychobabble a little bit. But the idea of compassion actually means to suffer with. Yeah. So uh-huh. if you can have yeah. a level of suffering with that younger part of you, as you just talked about, Nate, that younger mm-hmm. part of you that had no face, was looking for a face, but couldn't find one. And suffer with him. That is actually part of the process of bringing him home. It's saying to him, "No longer do you have to live in exile. No longer do I hold you with contempt or look at you in disgust for being such a pervert. No, actually, I can hold you with you know in high regard and remember a story that is older than your pornography. I can Mm. remember a story that is older." Than the ways that you've kind of gone wayward in your life because uh, I can remember who you actually are. Someone. So that boy,
2: that boy is stuck in the shame. Yes. The sage can say, Oh no, we've moved beyond that. Let me. Show you.
0: Yeah, the sage is the one that does that, but but also it is the becoming the sage is the process of that. So uh, Mm -hmm. and we will never, you know, by the time we we die, we will never fully do all the work that we need to do in the recovery of our hearts. We know that. Yeah. And there are some significant movements of finding those boys, as you will, those parts of us that have been left stuck in our shame Mm -hmm. that no one else is gonna go for. No one else is going to recover him. There's only one who's going to do that, and that is you. Mm -hmm. And as we do this work, you guys, as we step into the recovery of those parts of us and bring them back in and reintegrate them into us and show them compassion and kindness, that is actually where the sage settles. It is where something inside of him becomes more contented. Mm-hmm. That is where he develops a greater, more generous spirituality, a, a greater hospitality to other people, where he no longer has to be the one to prove all the things. He can actually step aside and let other people be bigger because he doesn't have the need to be big anymore. Yeah. That's what a yeah. sage is. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, so when, if, if I don't accept, as KK would say, that I am a grown ass man. I'm not the boy anymore. Mm-hmm. I am the man and I'm moving towards this stage. Then how, how would you explain how I keep trying to fulfill the needs of the boy versus living as the man that wherever I was stuck, I keep trying to have relationships that are like, this is what I'm looking for. This is what I'm looking for. I'm in this phallic stage. And so how do I get stuck in those routines and ruts and, versus being the person that says no we're beyond that now like how does that work out practically for people
0: so practically what is broken in relationship is healed in relationship mm-hmm. uh, and that is actually some of the work that you talked about nate that it can be in relationship with another person but it mm-hmm. can also be in relationship with your own self
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so the you talked at the beginning of the podcast about restory counseling the uh the The logo of ReStory Counseling is the cross-section of a tree. And the way that we talk about it is on the outside of the tree, is that's the adult tree that you see now, but on the inside are all the rings of all the ages you have ever been. Right. And the shaping and molding of one of those rings 20 years ago affected the next ring and the next ring and the next ring so that now as an adult, you're shaped in the way, influenced by the tragedies and traumas and woundings and stuckness that you had in those early stages. And so... It is. It is in relationship with yourself. It's that self-compassion. That's, that suffering with those parts of you. That the kindness there is what actually leads to the transformation, yeah. because it yeah. becomes stuck because there was no kindness. Yes, it becomes stuck because it becomes trauma because there was no kindness known and and kindness. I believe- are, are
2: you are you saying that kindness leads to repentance, i.e., a change of mind? Is that what you're saying? I I happen to be (laughs) quoting
0: the Apostle Paul. (laughs) It is not an original thought. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Kind. Oh, my gosh. Why is
2: that not talked about more? That, like, changing our mind starts with,
0: like, kindness is a necessary ingredient. Well, you guys, it's crazy right now because now that we have the technology to know more about neurology and the neurobiology— of how our brains are wired and formed
1: mm-hmm.
0: is that uh, kindness has the greatest effect on neuronic development yeah. of anything on the planet. Yeah, yeah. That our neurons actually grow and are stimulated to grow in positive reformatting ways when kindness is present and when kindness is not present. When it's the opposite of kindness, that there's violence or diminishment or or, dis- or Apathy or yeah, or apathy. Yeah. Neurons die. Yeah.
2: This is for all those listeners right now, they're like, when are they gonna talk about the Bible, which we have no obligation to whatsoever? However, this still goes back to mercy triumphing over judgment. That when there is judgment present and mercy is not greater, then there is no gospel it's there is no gospel transformation there is no forward movement in Christ there can't be because mercy has to triumph over judgment yes that was my opinion amen brother <laughs> <laughs> thank you preach it <laughs> uh, all right i want to talk about two different sides of the coin of of this sage idea um One of them comes from having the wonderful opportunity to pastor at a church for 14 years that had a lot of older people, and I have a file full of comment cards that I saved because it's hilarious to me. Most of them are from older people, and most of them said things like, those college kids don't pay tithes if you think you're going to keep playing that music and keep this church open, you should think again. Uh, Or, if you get rid of that piano, I'll make sure you get fired. I dealt with the most immature old people imaginable, and but I I was amused, which is why I kept all of those. I didn't feel bad about them. I'm like, this is amazing that I have this documented, and they signed most of them because they really didn't even think it was wrong. Uh, So, being Old does not mean you are worthy of having a voice. There has to be something else. So what do you say to the people that are moving towards that age? Like, what is the process where you become a sage, not just an old idiot? Because there are so many old fools in the world.
0: <laughs> well, again, amen. Preach it. Uh, so, And this is the man that I am des- I am determined not to become. Mm-hmm. is that is that person. Because when, when we have those kinds of people who are concerned about pianos and those young people, then we've actually had, this is what I'm talking about, we've lost a vision of what it actually means to be a sage, to be an elder in, in a society, because uh, that is not the treatment of the heart. That is not the, the caregiving that that younger generations actually need it is uh, something completely else. It is self-serving. It is like I said, you just become old and elderly and kind of that crotchety old man. Uh, that's not the kind of man that we want to become.
2: So what is what is the antidote to say I don't want to become that? Like I've been afraid honestly because I've seen people get older and they seem to get so insulated in their own little world. And I'm like, I don't want that. So what's the path away from that?
0: I think mm-hmm. it starts with a vision. I think it starts mm-hmm. with recognizing that in every hero story, there is a hero behind that hero. That for every mm-hmm. story that where Frodo is the hero, there is a Gandalf. For every Luke Skywalker, there is a Yoda. For every David, there is a Nathan. Mm-hmm. You know, for there, th- for every Timothy, there is a Paul. Uh, so
2: but that's a that's a huge surrender to to think I might not be the main
0: character in this story anymore. That is the point. Yeah, that is what makes a sage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: It is what is the transformation of a person's life from being the hero, the the warrior or the king that says, I no longer, and I was speaking to this a moment ago, I no longer have to be the biggest person in the room. Yeah. Mm. I no longer have to be the smallest person in the room. It could be that way. I just get to be in the room and be hospitable to all those that are here. So it starts, Aaron, with a vision, I believe, a vision of uh, this is the man that I long to become. This is where I'm headed. Be hospitable. I mean, that word hospitality
2: is really about making space for others, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, think mm-hmm. about it in a practical way, being hospitable in your home. That is one thing. But I, uh, being hospitable in your presence
2: mm-hmm.
0: is actually what I'm talking about in Sage. That do you have a hospitable presence? That people feel like when you walk in the room, everybody takes not a deep breath out of fear, but a deep breath out of relief. Oh, deep
2: yeah. Out of safety you've your presence has created safety oh for me. he's here we're gonna uh, we're gonna be okay yeah this is gonna be good it's not even just it's gonna be okay neutral this is gonna be fucking rad yes
0: <laughs> and it's not because the sage knows all the answers to all the things a sage is not a sage because he has good advice oh my gosh you yes. oh. say that again <laughs>
2: that's huge cuz i think a lot of people think sage is a person who has all the answers and oh my gosh how great is it paul's the chief of all sinners while he's saying stuff which he's saying oh oh no i i don't know i'm still dealing with this stuff absolutely but imi- imitate me not because i i've got it down but imitate me in how i struggle imitate me in how i repent change my mind, yes. confess, and agree with God and others that that wasn't right. That's how you should imitate me, not because I'm cool. Exactly.
0: Yes. Oh, my That God, Sages so do not have all the answers. And I feel like a lot of sages, a lot of older people, I should I should retract that, not a lot of sages, a lot of older people think the best thing that they can offer the younger generation is advice. advice. Yeah, Right. Yeah, And the reality is, that's why we now have YouTube. <laughs> oh, that hurt. That actually hurt in my soul that you just said. Okay, We have YouTube because... I don't need to go to an older person to find answers. I can pay an expert. I can Google a video to tell me what to do in XYZ scenario, but I can't go to YouTube to feel the relief of that presence that a sage brings, mm-hmm.
2: to feel the exhale. So, we
0: lose, so,
2: going back to what you said, we struggled with porn or false intimacy, trauma, trying to find connection, i.e. intimacy, and now we're replacing intimacy with virtual advice instead of relationships. Yes. So. Yeah damn,
0: that sucks. It's a conundrum. I don't like that. It's a conundrum. And and in many ways, it's because, Aaron, that it's because we haven't had a vision for these kinds of sages in our life that they haven't grown and developed. And what my hope is, is to inspire this generation Mm -hmm. of men and women to become the sages, to say, hey, this is the destination that I am headed for so that we can change some of these things. Okay, so let's flip the other side of the
2: coin. I asked about old people who are not sages. They're just old. Now we've got a bunch of young people who feel like everybody who's older does not get it. They're stupid. They're antiquated. And and I don't know. Let me think. I mean, this is definitely, it definitely shows up in the hyperbole of YouTube. (laughs) You know, I don't know. But, but it, it feels relatively accurate from my experiences that young people feel like older people just don't get it. And so just shut up and sit down. What do young people have to do to shift their thinking, especially when there's a generation of people who have not learned to be
0: sages? Well, I think, honestly, I feel like it's going to be a couple of decades mm-hmm. before we have a sufficient, you know, if, if, if the sage movement kind of kicks off, we we will still be a couple of decades out
1: yeah.
0: so uh, of having enough sages to really sit with and be with. But yeah. here's the thing to that 30 year old, the 35 year old, the 40 year old, uh, the 20 year old. you know, I, I started thinking about being a sage when I encountered a sage at the age of 16
1: mm-hmm.
0: And it has always been, My thought, my direction, my hope. You know, Luke Skywalker was never my hero. It was always Yoda. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It was always, I want to be the Master Jedi. I want to be the, the white wizard Gandalf. I want to be, you know, that that is the direction. And so that I think is what I'm trying to, you know, inspire, if you will, amongst the younger generation, the 20s and 30s, is to say, hey, let's have our vision be that. And we can actually do some of the work of maturing and and uh, tending to those parts of us. If we can do that now in our thirties and forties, then we're not doing that in our sixties and seventies. Well, we we mature a lot earlier and better as a sage. It's crazy for me to think about biblically how, or not biblically, but like in biblical times, you were old when you were forty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The lifespan of a man in you know, 2,000 years ago, if he survived beyond 40, it was a miracle. And so, sages can exist at younger ages.
2: Mm-hmm. It doesn't
0: have to do with having gray hair or losing your hair like I have. It it just is a matter of the, the level of maturity that you're pursuing. And so, I want to encourage younger generations I, to pursue maturity uh, even now. I,
2: I think of—I I worked with kids for a long time, and— uh, uh, what an idiot I was! We'd always make them learn, like you know what Paul said to Timothy: be an example in your youth, and and that was like speaking to like ten year olds. Yeah. He was like thir- in his early thirties when Paul said that to him. Yeah, he was in his youth. And poor Timothy in Ephesus is trying to be pastor where John is there. J- Mary is probably still alive. He has to be pastor to John and Mary, yes. like you know. So that be an example of your in your youth is speaking to that age. It's it's those those kids. <laughs> I can say that. I'm 46. Well, uh
0: <laughs> and this is what I would would want to say to that is that being an elder is not a chronological issue. It is yeah. a characterological issue. Okay. Gotcha. That mm-hmm. you can mature into an elder character long before you develop into an elderly person chronologically.
2: Yeah, to become a presbyteros, (laughs) an elder in the sense of you have gravitas to what you see and how you speak into the culture around you and care for the people God has put in your life. Yes, absolutely. So let me throw one more thing out. By the way, listeners, I don't know what happened to Nate. He disappeared. Uh, We are not ignoring him. We, uh, there's something going on, but you know, Chris and I will have a fine time. So, uh, less people think we're just leaving him out. You're talking about this. And I think of, of King Hezekiah Mm. and I, I so wish that I was, I had the memory I used to, I just, Hezekiah was amazing as a King when he was young and then he became a complete idiot and then the prophet comes to him and says, hey, destruction's going to come to you, but it's not going to come in your, he, he posts, he gets it postponed where destruction won't come in your generation. And he says, this is a good word. This is a good prophecy for destruction won't come in my time. And that passage, and, and you guys can Google it. You have Google. So find the passage, but I'm pretty sure it was Hezekiah. Man, if I'm wrong, I'm going to be embarrassed, but I don't think I am. I, I always thought like he epitomized a, a person who started out strong and then came became so self self-absorbed that he could rejoice that the next generation would be screwed because of him and he'd be dead before it came. And it's one of the most heartbreaking passages. It's like the it's the anti-sage passage.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So Tell me about your thoughts on that.
0: Absolutely. The, the idea that I have around legacy is that it is not the material possessions or provisions that you leave behind for your progeny. It is the, uh, the world, the atmosphere, the ethos, the culture, the way of being that you leave behind for your children and future generations. And so I 100% agree with you that it is, it is sad. That is a sad statement. And unfortunately, we can, we can look at our society now and go, that is a very, very common reaction amongst a lot of current old people of like, okay, ozone layer, you guys deal with it. Oceans filling with trash, you guys deal with it. It's, it's, you know, and, and we can get all political if we wanted to, but it just feels like uh, a, a sage actually is wanting to look down the the tunnel of time and say, what is it that I am providing uh, both world-wise and also ethos, culture, and character-wise for my future generations? Uh, that's a, a great example from the scriptures of a very sad story. So.
2: I'm just thinking one practical thing, whether you're 20 years old or 40 years old or 50, just catching up with this, is to start writing down and documenting the journey for no other reason than I want this for my children yes. or grandchildren. And I want to write it honestly. I want to tell you what I've struggled with. And you know what? If, if it's really scary then I'll put it in a place that you won't find till I die. <laughs> and guess what? You'll be dead. You won't care. Yep. So I can be honest. Something to, to to think this is for them because I think it matters.
0: This story matters. The story matters. And to go back to what we said before is, I just wouldn't want someone to write all those things down for hopes to pass on information, because if all you're doing is passing on information, you're actually depriving the next generation of your presence, which is far more mm, powerful yeah. than anything you have to say. So uh, the other thing I would... Wow,
2: your, your presence is more powerful than anything you have to say.
0: That's the tagline. Oh my gosh, that's huge. It's, it, that's huge. But think about it, you guys. Think about it from the sense of like, who are the people that you long for? They're not people who had lots of great quips and quotes and information to pass down. It was the people that made you feel welcome. It was the people that made you feel loved and seen and delighted in. Those are the people that you know that we need. Those are actually the sages. And so if you are going to do writing down your story, uh, again, in the book, I talk about doing a full life review. Much of it is to go back and find where are the lost boys that are still in my past that I need to go back and recover and bring home so that I can be more present, more loving, more attuned to the next generation than I ever received?
2: And that story matters. And that story matters. Because, because that story teaches the younger people who are in it don't wait until you're my age for the 40 year olds old and 50 year olds yeah. and 60 year olds who are just starting this that you have this like unction. Don't wait this l- you can do it now. and I'm going to engage it in a way that you can participate before you're 40 or
0: 50 or 60. Yes hundred.
2: And that that and that is the quest. That's the ring going to Mount Doom. Yeah. That's what you carry. I don't know. I'm going back to your hero
0: stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's the ring that Frodo carries, but it's the staff that Gandalf has. And it's that's the that's the part that just says, you shall not pass, not past my generation. And and you know, a, a quote that I love is that trauma and tragedy is passed down generation to generation until someone is brave enough to feel it. Mm. And I want wow. this to be a generation that feels the trauma and the tragedy, attends to it, processes through it, digests through it, and doesn't pass it on.
2: Okay, I got to ask one more question because you just said that. So I, I listened to, and oh my gosh, just a few days ago, had a, an amazingly awkward conversation that I loved in Nashville with a, a very woke human being where I quickly realized we thought we were saying the same thing. And I was like, oh crap, this is, this is now awkward. And everything was outside of themselves about other people, nameless, not specific people, just ideas of people. And it all felt like, but who are you? Who, who, where are you in this? Cause I'm fine with fighting for the justice of Bob or Joe or Joanne. Like, give me a person. But we're not talking about people, we're talking about ideas. And and I'm too old and tired at this point to just talk about ideas. And what I wanted to know was where was that person and the deeper they got into what they were talking about, the more they disappeared from the conversation. Yes.
0: I'm I'm so we're opening a can of worms. Hopefully I can summarize uh- it. I believe actually that the gospel is a gospel of what I call withness, Mm -hmm. to be with. And that in the Garden of Eden, what was lost was the connectedness and the withness with God. Yes, sin was, was part of it. Sin was the scissors that cut the connection. But ultimately, it is withness that God is about restoring to all of humanity, to be with one another in the way that we were designed to be, and then to be with God again in the way that we were designed to be ultimately in the coming kingdom where you know now at the end of time he talks about dwelling again with us and us with him. And so the profound understanding of who Jesus actually is is the God who is with us, hmm. Emmanuel. That ultimately is, is, I believe, what the fullness of the gospel is about. And God's work is to restore withness. So what you're talking about is uh, another word for witness is association and what you're talking about is this person's dissociation distancing separating disconnecting because we're putting ideas between you and me and we're not actually connecting that feels a lot like pornography
2: and that is consistent with christians politically conservative people cons- conservative uh, liberal politically liberal people everybody has this natural flesh tendency to try to remove themselves from the gospel, because that's what our flesh is going to do, remove us from the presence of all that is in Christ that we're invited into. And so it doesn't, none of it matters. Right. Left, right, whatever. This is simply a way to dissociate from the presence of God. Mm -hmm. as It it deeply has nothing to do with politics as much as it has to do with Having a way to not be present and say this is where I'm at, and if everybody was where they're at, we wouldn't have all these issues because we deal with the people in our actual community, the people with names, Bob and Joan and Joanne, and and that stuff would be resolved. Yes, but if we can keep an idea that keeps us one step removed from being present, yes, and we can't we can't move towards being sages. I I'm assuming I haven't read the book. But I'm I'm enjoying it. I was hoping for incense and possibly some oregano as well. But but if we can move towards this, oh my gosh, we'll we'll have heroes again mm-hmm. and they'll be gray. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, I feel like dissociation is a is a flight from the goodness of God. And the wow. more that we dissociate, and I just said it's it's very much, I mean, this is what is so capturing about pornography, so hijacking about pornography is because it is a dissociation from the feelings that we are having. It fills the needs of connection and gives us that false connection and, and false intimacy when actually we were designed for true intimacy. So the more that we dissociate in porn or whatever, as this person was talking to you, it is actually a flight from the goodness of God. Because as I associate with you, Aaron, and with you, Nate, and with, with any other person, I get to see another facet of the glory and the beauty of God's image born uniquely in you, and in you, and in you, and in you. Like every single person that I associate with, I get to see more of the face of God. And when I dissociate, I am actually fly, flying away, fleeing away from the goodness that God meant to bring me that day. In the face mm-hmm. of another,
2: and like the elder brother, you might only flee as far as the field outside of the house that keeps you from ever joining the party. Absolutely, it might not be hundreds of miles; it might just be a few hundred yards. But we have flown from the presence of the love of the perfect dad. Yes. All right, we've talked, we've gone way over time. Uh, I Poor Nate, I don't know, he's still here evidently, but he's gone. Uh, How do people connect with you, get a hold of this book? Give us all
0: that information. Yeah, so the book is on Amazon. So just uh, hop on Amazon and search for Sage, Chris Bruno, and it should come up. You can find it there. And then our counseling center is Restory Counseling, which is at restory.life. Uh, You can find us there. And then also, I lead an organization specifically focused on helping men recover their hearts uh, called Restoration Project. And that's easy. That's just restorationproject.net. And we do stuff with uh, you as a father, you as a brother, and you as a son of God. So, those are the places that you can find me.
2: Well, man, we have had a lot of Good story conversations. A lot of Dan Dan Allender fellows in the last few months on this show, uh, which is so huge and good. Mm -hmm. To be known is right. Jesus said it in his high priestly prayer. He wanted to be known, and he wanted his Father to be known. This is God's fingerprints on us. We were created in god's image to be known and if we don't know ourselves how the heck are we supposed to introduce ourselves to someone else so it is good check it out and we will be right back here on the pirate monk podcast And we are back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. That was fun.
1: I like Chris. Yeah, I got to tell you, I don't know what happened uh, technologically, Aaron, because <laughs> yeah. uh, I could see you and hear you uh, and uh, and Chris throughout the entire conversation. But at some point, apparently you lost sight of me and you couldn't hear me any longer.
2: Well, I just assumed that Jesus knew that whatever you were going to say was evil, Oh, okay. You didn't assume that uh, the hey, rapture happened and I'd been taken and you have been left behind? Oh my gosh, you're right. I didn't assume that. That was so, what, see, I am just a natural Pharisee. Uh, <laughs> life is filled with guns and war. Oh my god! everyone got trampled
1: on the floor. Yep. Uh, I wonder how many of our listeners will remember that song. I, I don't. Actually I don't know. I sang that countless times. I did too.
2: Uh, we sang yeah. it in youth group. Oh yeah, absolutely. Children died; the days grew long. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah.
1: Awesome. Uh, yeah. Anyway.
2: Anyway, uh, I I loved that it. Christmas was great. I yeah. I am I love that he's addressing this. Yeah, I I seriously, after so many experiences, both desired to become and feared to become, different kinds of older yeah. people. Yeah, and I love that he's he's laying out a path, saying like, "Here's what it looks like."
1: It's beautiful. Yep, I ha- like you. I have not read the book. Uh, however, uh, when I couldn't participate in the conversation, I went ahead and ordered it on Amazon. So uh- <laughs> I can't believe you were sitting there. I mean, your name was there. It was really yeah. weird. I'm like, "What's?
2: Where'd you go? You still <laughs> seem to be here?" And then you yeah. Yeah. closed. The, yeah, it was weird. Anyways, that's that's all good. All right, so. Folks, uh, we want to hear from you. You yep. can send us questions, thoughts, things you want talked about. Uh, you know, it, I mean, come on. I have been told over, I mean, how many years we've we been doing this? Like, I don't know. I think I've been doing this with you for like 12 or 13 years. I think so, yeah. I have been told on a number of occasions that some people's least favorite part is our banter at the beginning. They okay. just say, Aaron, I don't care. Right. Right. So I love when people ask questions and have thoughts and we can talk about that because nobody wants to know about the weather. Well, not nobody. Some people are really into that. But your voice matters. Send it to PirateMonkPodcast at gmail.com and we'll talk about that instead. So if you're a griper and you're not emailing, you can kiss my butt because you're (laughs) not a part of the solution. Send a question you want talked about or stop complaining. Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, I feel
1: aggressive. I, I feel all aggressive right. and, and, and if you have a complaint, uh, Aaron will print it out and he'll put it in that folder that contains all those comment <laughs> cards.
2: I might if it's good. I will. It's, I think those things are hilarious. So,
1: yeah. All right. Uh, that's it. We got plenty of more great guests lined up. Thanks, by the way, to our uh, very aggressive booker, uh, Justin Schwinn. Thank you, man. Uh, until next time, then, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron, And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk
0: Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to podcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.